Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, when I uh, graduated from high school a million years ago, back then they used to have a theme for graduation. And, uh, you know, I graduated in 76, and Sills and Croft were uh, like uh, big-time musicians at that time. And uh, so the theme of our graduation was, we may never pass this way again. And uh, I remember my oldest brother, Ken, he and Marsha had moved back to town by that time. He's 13 years older than me. And uh, he and Marsha came to my high school graduation, and they saw that that was the theme. We may never pass this way again. Our choir sang it. I mean, it was so moving and wonderful and all that stuff. And afterwards, he said, that's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We may never pass this way again. I can guarantee you, you ain't going to pass this way again unless they go back and actually read some of the papers you wrote. They might make you do it again. Uh, I mean, he just, I don't know why, but that just hit him as dumb. And uh, I was so glad he didn't know about this other song that I really, really liked. And uh, it was entitled, uh, it was a Jim Croce song. Anyone like Jim Croce back yeah, there were some people that, that was when music was really good, let me just tell you guys. I mean, it's been all downhill since then, at least on the secular side. But, you know, back then, uh, there was a song called Time in a Bottle by Jim Croce, and I just loved it. And, you know, here I'm talking about uh, Ken and Marsha, and I would go over to their house and Marsha, you know, they had this huge garden, and uh, she had grown up kind of on a quasi-farm, and her mom canned and all that stuff, and so she'd, she'd put up all these preserves, and you know what? I went down in their basement where they kept them all. I never saw time in the bottle. You know why? Because Ken would say that is a dumb song, because here's the deal. You cannot put time in a bottle. Time can't be bottled. You know, I don't know a person alive that hadn't gotten to their, a point in their life at least once or twice or many, many times, and some of us just live perpetually in this state where we just wish we had more time. And it's kind of, uh, kind of ironic because when we do have more time, what do we do? We pick up our phone and see if there's something we could find to occupy our time. It's like we are just addicted to doing things and we all wish we had more time, and we all wish we could uh, fit more in, you know. And uh, truth of the matter is, time cannot be bottled. If I could put time in a bottle, my brother Ken would say, no, you can't. Just like you can't go back and pass this way again. So here's what I want to do today. I want us, we're, we're kind of in between series and next week, uh, we're going to start another sermon series. I'll introduce it next week. But uh, uh, today, we're just going to take a minute to go and look at a psalm that I think is going to be really, really encouraging to us. Uh, it's Psalm 90. So if you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to Psalm 90. If you're looking on your phone, I would encourage you to, to find Psalm 90. I'm following the New American Standard 
and uh, we're just going to walk through this psalm, a very familiar psalm, because basically Moses wrote this thing, and if there was anyone that understood the value of time, anyone who understood the pressures of life, of fitting, not being able to get it all done in the amount of time that he had, I think it would be Moses. Uh, this, this psalm is titled, and you can see it there uh, before you even get to verse 1. It says, it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Arguably, Moses has to be one of the most significant, if not the most significant human being to have ever lived other than Jesus Christ. So Moses, I mean, he is someone worth listening to. We only know of two psalms that he wrote, Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. And so this, this psalm was written, you know, 1,500 years before Jesus Christ was born. This is, this is wisdom from 3,500 years ago, and it literally has stood the test of time. And uh, what I want to do is just kind of walk through the passage See what this prayer really was, and then draw a few conclusions off of it, and they're all going to come right out of the passage. Here's the deal. Look at what Moses says, uh, just the first couple of verses. The Lord, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or before... You gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, what Moses is doing here is he's just kind of sharing with us some facts of life. And there's a ton there, but here's the first one. God is eternal. This person that we have been worshiping, this God to whom we've been praying, this God who, who authored this book that we're studying and trying to live by and gain insight and wisdom from, he's eternal. I mean, look, look at the verses there. You know this stuff, but it is so good to be reminded. I mean, God is creator. Before the mountains were born or before you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, as far as you could look back in history, as far as you could look forward in history, you're God. Everything revolves around you. God, you are eternal. One of the things that, that you and I need to regularly think and pray about it's the fact that God's eternal. He is outside of this stuff. You know, we live because we do have smartphones. I mean, we get immediate news. We find out about immediate things that happened, you know, whether it's in Texarkana or in the United States or in the world at large. I mean, we're, we're, we're living in real time with real-time information. It just pops up on our phone. And, and the truth of the matter is God is so far beyond it all, and yet he understands even the minute things. Uh, you know, every time I read through the Bible, I'm just amazed at how God has the long view of history. 
I mean, it's like God is doing something now as a consequence of something that had happened 200 years ago. You know, it's like, Saul, I want you to go ahead and take care of the Amalekites because 400 years ago they did this and that. And I'm like, 400 years ago? I mean, the way we live, four days ago those people insulted us, so we are going to boycott them and put all kinds of sanctions in if we could ever get a Speaker of the House. Hey, aren't you glad we got a Speaker of the House? And the guy's from Shreveport, and better yet, he is a believer. I mean, uh, sounds like we've got a good guy in there. I don't know hardly anything about him, but the little bit I know, um, we should be encouraged. But anyway, I mean, we just live on this chain reaction thing of, you know, this happens, that happens, that happens, and, and something that happened three weeks ago, that is like ancient history. you got to Google it just to find out the details of it because we're so far from our mind. God I mean, he's got the long view of history. And every once in a while, we as his people, we need to have that long view of history. He's eternal. Well, look at the next couple verses. Look at verse 3 down to 6. You, you turn man back into dust, and you say to him, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which, the, which sprouts anew, and in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Towards evening it fades and it withers away. What's he saying there? You know what he's saying? He's already told us God's eternal, but guess what? Human beings, man, we're momentary. I mean, we are just a blink of an eye. In the long view of history, my 70, 80, 90, 95 years, whatever God ultimately gives me, is nothing. And I got good news for you. Yours is nothing in the big scheme of things. I mean, here's the most significant man probably to have ever lived other than Jesus Christ, Moses, and he's saying, we are momentary, folks. I mean, we pass away. Compared to God, a thousand years are like yesterday. We pass away. And, and it's like this flood that just sweeps us away. Here today, gone tomorrow. We're like that grass that pops up, sprouts, looks good, and it's faded by the afternoon. Man is momentary. Let's look at the next section, verse 7 down to verse 11. For we have been consumed by thy anger and by thy wrath. We have been dismayed. Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. All our days have declined in thy fury. We have finished our year like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70, or if due to strength, maybe 80. 
And isn't that fascinating? I mean, 3,500 years ago, the average life expectancy was somewhere between 70 and 80. With all of our medical technology today, what's the average lifespan? It's somewhere between 70 and 80. As for all our days, they contain 70 or maybe 80. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it's gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of thine anger and thy fury according to the fear that is due thee? Again, so much stuff to to process there, but just the big thing, God's eternal, man's momentary, and guess what? Our momentariness is due to our sinfulness. I mean, the reason we are so far removed from God, the reason we are so uh, separated from God is because of our sin. And look at that, all those little sins that, that you and I, we commit in our mind, in our heads, those little secret sins, not to mention the big ones that everyone can see, not to mention the big ones that, that cause consequences in our life and we're still living with them. All of those, verse 8, were placed before God. God knows them. Those secret sins are in the light of God's presence. That's why our days have declined. See, Moses is living in that era when not too long before him, people would live to 150, 180. I mean, the father of the nation, Abraham, he lived to be about 160. The Isaac, his son, lived to be about 180. Jacob, man, he just died at a young old age of 147, you know? I mean, Moses was close enough to that, and he realized that due to sin... Our, lifestyle, our lifespan was getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So what does he do here? Right at the start of, it, of this psalm, you know, before he's even gotten to whatever his prayer is, he's saying, man, just think about a fact. God is eternal. Man is momentary. And our momentariness is due to our sinfulness. You know, by the way, I mean, we could just mine some more stuff out of this. Here's what he says in a nutshell. Life is short, it's quick, and it's tough. It is tough. Life is short. You know, again, I mean, I'm sitting and thinking, you know, my mom, you know, she lived within, be about a month or two shy of 95. That's a long time. Not in God's eyes. You know? Life is very, very short. The older I get, the further I get down the road, I'm like, oh my goodness, blink, and that was yesterday. You know, it just passes so quickly. All of us can relate to that. You know, if you hang around uh, children, whether they're your children or you just pay attention to the children that you're around in the neighborhood, in the church, or out there in the community, I mean, good grief, when did that kid grow up? When did these kids get old enough to, that we'd let them lead a Sunday service? I mean, my goodness, they're still supposed to be back there wearing blue vests and saying, Jesus loves me, you know, in cubbies. Life is fast. 
fast. It's quick. Blink and it's over. And is it tough? Well, I'll tell you what, that's one of the things I've learned is that life is really tough. You know, Vicki and I have buried four parents now. My dad died at 86. Uh, her dad died at 92. Her mom died at 93. And my mom died almost at 95. And you know what? We always talk about finishing well, finishing well. I, I, I would arguably say our four parents finished really well. But you know what? I know... You know, preachers my generation, we don't say this, so I won't say that life sucks sometimes. But uh, truth of the matter is, the last six months, year, two years of their lives was horrible. From our perspective, you know, the, their, their bodies just shriveled up. They, they ached and they pained and their minds got weird. And, 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 and I mean, it, it was tough. You know, and I, I remember talking to my mom about it. I mean, I think of all of them, she probably had the clearest head of all of them all the way to the end. And, uh, I mean, there was times, because she, she loved the Lord. She'd known the Lord since she was a child. She probably had a 90-year relationship with Jesus Christ. And she would say, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, and I'm still in that bed. And I'd, God, come on, I want to get out of this place. You know, she'd be irritated that she hadn't died in her sleep because she wanted to get out of here. You know, it was that old saying, but she'd say it. Getting old isn't for sissies. Life is tough. That's what Moses is saying. I mean, look, look at this. Look at the end of verse 9. We finish our years like a sigh or a moan. That's your life. That's my life. That was Moses' life. You know, my dad used to talk about how Moses probably did more funerals than any preacher alive. I mean, because what was his assignment for the last 38 years of his life? Get this generation to die off so I can take their kids into the land. So they wander around in the Sinai Peninsula till all of that generation died. And I'm sure Moses did a bunch of those funerals. And it's like he saw these people. It's like, oh, good, another one's dead. Another one's dead. Finally, maybe we can get these people in. It took 40 years. Life ends with a sigh. Now, I brought all this up because I just really wanted to cheer you up today. So, uh, uh, but remember, what are we doing here? What are we doing? We're looking at this psalm of Moses which is basically a prayer of the man of God. I mean, and we probably could underline it, the man of God. Like I said, he, he's probably the most significant human being to have ever lived. And so when he's talking about life, wise people will listen. Wise people will pay attention. And better yet, it isn't just coming from Moses. It's God-inspired from Moses. So what is Moses' prayer? Look at it. It's in verse 12. So, he's gone on for 11 verses. God's eternal. Man's momentary. Our momentariness is due to our sinfulness. Life is short. Life is quick. Life is tough. So, man, if you're into writing in your Bible or making marks in it, you ought to circle the word so. 
So, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. You know what he's saying? God, teach me to use time wisely. That's the message for today. You only have so much time. On average, 70 or 80. You're momentary. And actually, the stuff you do is pretty momentary. Very few people are going to make that kind of a mark that goes for a few generations beyond them. So you better use your time wisely because you've got an eternal God who knows all about your sin, who's going to take care of your sin. From Moses' perspective, he has taken care of our sins in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross. You better use your time wisely. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. And he's not sitting and saying, okay, you know, 365 times, we'll just say 75, you know, do the math and all that. Okay, looks like I got 1,000 days left, you know. Got 10,000 left. Oh, good, I'm still in my teens. I got 20,000 left, you know, whatever numbers is. It's not what he's saying there. He is saying, Lord, help us to make the most of each and every day. Teach us to number our days. Squeeze out of them what you want us to squeeze out of them. And, and what is he saying? Look, look at the second half of verse 12. That's, that's the goal. That we pray may present to you, may, we may give to you as a sacrifice of praise a whole bunch of really great things we've accomplished in our life, a bunch of tasks well done, a list with a check by everything on the list? No. What is my offering of praise to God if I'm going to be a good steward of these 25,000 days that God gives me? If I'm going to be a good steward of it? It isn't a bank account or a big house or a big business or a big church or, you know, lots of other things like that. It is a heart, a heart that is wise before God. It is a heart of wisdom. Do you have a heart of wisdom? Would God say you have a heart of wisdom? Does, would God say you are looking at life with the long view? The big picture, that's the real goal. It's not accumulating. It's not accomplishing. It's not being an influencer. It is a heart of wisdom. And it's like you miss that, none of the other stuff counts. Some of the other stuff counts, but only after the heart of wisdom's already there. And here's what I like. The rest of the psalm, David kind of, or not David, but uh, Moses gives us some how-tos. Here's some things that you can do to use your time wisely. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. 
He says you got to stay connected to God. Now, to really understand 13 through 17, I think one of the things you got to remember is Moses, I think, more than any other writer in Scripture, used personification to describe God. And what was so, is so cool to me is the more I study what Moses actually wrote, Moses really had a, a friendship with God. He, he had a personal relationship with God, so much so that at, he, a lot of times he interpreted God's actions from a human standpoint. It's like God's the one that turned away. God's the one that moved away. God remembered. God did this and God did that. But I'm pretty sure that Moses was enough of a theologian to know that, no, if there was anyone that moved away, if there was anyone that came to their senses, it's uh, us human beings. But many times as Moses is writing, it's like he's interpreting God's actions as if God were a human Human personality, we call that personification. Anthropomorphisms is another theological term. So what does God, he say there in verse 13? Do return, O Lord, come back. How long will it be? How long are you going to be gone? Be sorry for thy servants. Have some compassion on us. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I, we want to be connected to you. Now, obviously, we're the ones that need to move towards him. But it's like, God, I want you to come back so that we can have that. I, I want you to do whatever is necessary in me so that I'll take the steps towards you so that we can be connected together. I, 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 want, I want you to change me enough so that I'm receiving your compassion and your, your affection. He wants to be connected to God. Let me just tell you, if you are going to use the time that God has for you, as a child of God, as a person who has come to the place in his or her life where you recognize that Jesus Christ is your Savior, he died for your sins, you're placing your faith and trust in him for eternal life, if you are a person in relationship with God, a faith-based relationship with God, if you want to use your time wisely, you better recognize you cannot do it apart from God. That personal relationship, that personal vibrancy that you have with, that, with, with, with God is just key to then doing the right th things with the time that God has given you. You're not connected to God. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It, it, it's like, you know spouses you know husband and wife and they're not connected together who cares how much money they put in the bank who cares what they did with their kids or who cares how they contributed to the community or to the church or this and that because they're just basically two silos just sitting there and there's no relationship there's corn in this one and there's peas in that one and that's about the only thing they got in common is that they're out there together, but there's no connection. And in reality, that stinks. And, and, and it doesn't work in a marriage. It certainly doesn't bring joy in a marriage. It doesn't do anything in a marriage. 
Same thing with your relationship with God. I mean, God is, Moses is telling us, you had better have a day-to-day vibrant connection with God. I mean, when the Apostle Paul said that we should pray without ceasing, I really think one of the things he had in mind is there is that you and I have a, a regular, continual, ongoing conversation with God. I mean, it, it, it's like a moment-by-moment thing. God, what do you think about that? Ooh, look at that, God. I mean, do you go hours without thinking about God? You, let me get, tell you, he doesn't go hours without thinking about you. I mean, when my marriage is really humming, I'm thinking about Vicky a lot. I mean... There, there's not, you know, a 30-minute span of time where I haven't sat and factored in, I wonder what she would think about this, I wonder what she's doing, and this and that, you know, and, and, and it's like you have to resist not calling or texting or, you know, finding out what's going on because, you know, you're in love with this person. You want to be connected with this person. And, yeah, you're paid to do this and that, and so you're trying to stay focused on it, but there's this, this person that you want to be connected to. And you learn how to do that and still be able to make a living. That's how you should be with God. Well, it's how you should be with your spouse. If you're, if you're married, get there, okay? I mean, uh, we can help you figure that out. But that's how you should be with God. Do you go hours, do you go days without thinking about him, without talking to him, without reading his word? Man, come back. You're wasting your time. I can, care, I can guarantee it. You're wasting your time. If you're going hours without being connected with God, you're wasting your time. Moses says, Lord, return. How long is it going to be? I mean, we want that, that, that compassion and affection. Look at verse 14 and 15. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days thou hast afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. You know what I think he's saying there? He's told us to stay connected to God. I think he's telling us to find joy in God. See those two words, joy and gladness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad. You know, that word joy, we don't use it very often. It's kind of one of those religious terms, and, you know, it's kind of gotten set aside. But I think you know what it is. That joy is that that inner peace, that inner contentment. It's 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 the opposite of when your gut is churning and you're worried, and your mind is going full blast because you're thinking of all the options that are out there and the angles and how you've got to manipulate this situation so that, you know, you're going to come out of it alive or at least come out of it employed or still married or whatever the situation is. And, and, and joy is this inner peace that, that just kind of, you know, it's like when you sit and you think, you're like, I'm okay. And, and, and you're so okay, you, you kind of get a bit of a smile on your face because it's like, hell may break loose, but I'm going to be okay. It's kind of like that hope we talked about a few weeks ago. 
It's like at the end of the day, I'm going to be okay. I don't know whether the world's going to be okay. I don't know whether the United States is going to be okay. I don't know whether Texarkana is going to be okay. The sky may fall in, but I'm going to be okay because I'm connected with God. I've got that hope. And you know what? You do have it. If you're a child of God, you don't have anything to fear except God. You stay connected to him, there's nothing that should scare you to death. Broken relationship, bankruptcy, super horrible illness, premature death, premature death of, of one of your loved ones. Nothing needs scare us to death. You know, we're human beings, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be a mess working through that stuff and processing all the emotions of it, but at the end of the day, truth of the matter is, I've got it because I'm in right relationship with the God of the universe. You're, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you are in right relationship with the eternal God. Even though you're momentary, he's eternal, and he's saying, I'm going to take care of you in the long run. And you can have that joy and that gladness. Do you have that joy and gladness? You want to use your time wisely, stay connected to God, and enjoy the moment that God has given you. You know, I talked about a couple songs at the beginning. There's another song, a secular song, great song. I think it was written in 1963. Uh, guy, I think the guy's name was Jerry Sparks, and hardly uh, too many people heard it, and then John Denver covered it sometime in the 70s, uh, early 80s. Today, while the blossoms still cling to the vine, I'll taste your strawberries and drink your sweet wine. A million tomorrows, they're all going to pass away. Lest I forget all the joy that I have today. Are you enjoying today? I mean, are you enjoying today? I mean, you're sitting there... And, and I can just, I can describe you right now. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you are a person who can face death and you don't have to worry about it. Because to be absent from the body is to be face to face with Jesus Christ. In fact, the God of the universe says you don't even have to look at your checking account and get screwed up about it. Because you know what? He said, look at the lilies of the field. See how they take care of them? I'm going to take care of you that way. I think it was David in Psalm 37 said, I've been young and I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or, the ch or his children begging bread. Well, I'll take that. I mean, I am safe and secure because of God. Does that mean I'm not going to, I mean, shoot, there could be some horrible illness that hits me, hits Vicky, hits one of our kids, hits one of you guys, and, and, and yet God says, I've got it. You can have incredible joy today because of your relationship with God. Because he's eternal. He's outside of all this mess. We worry so much. What did the song say? A million tomorrows. They're going to all pass away. Ere I forget all the joy that I have today. Why should you have joy? If you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got a relationship 
with the eternal God who sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. That's the joy that you need to grab. What did James say at the very first of his book? Consider it all joy. My friends, when you encounter all kinds of hardships. Hey, one more thing. Look at the, look at the end of it here. Do work for God. Let thy work appear to thy servants and thy majesty to thy children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Man, isn't that incredible? That tells you how close Moses was to God. Because Moses knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he was doing with his time was what God wanted him to do with his time. And I think you and I can know that too. I think when you and I pray and seek God's favor and, and seek godly wisdom and seek wisdom out of the word of God and we proceed and go down a path, I think we can be pretty certain, just like Moses is here, that we're doing the work of God. And we can say, God, confirm that work. You know, I think it's one of those ploys of Satan. Well, number one, one of those ploys of Satan is we don't ever do any of that stuff. We just do what we want to do. We, we don't have the guts to go ask a Christian brother or sister, should I be doing that? Because they might say no. And we don't really want to know that truth. We just want to know what we think. We want someone to come and say, yeah, you're right. Don't worry about it, even though it's against Scripture and it sounds really stupid. And by the way, those are bad principles upon which you're making those decisions. But when you go through that whole process of a godly decision-making process of, of having people that are really walking with God, speaking truth into your life, and you're kind of following the Holy Spirit and all that stuff, and you're certain that this is, is a righteous action that you're doing, I mean, you can say, God, confirm the work of my hand. And then you go out and pursue it. You pursue it, and you keep it in the godly boundaries that God has for you. That's how you use your time wisely. You stay connected to God. Make sure you are enjoying the ride with God, finding that joy. And then, man, do what God wants you to do and then go for it. You know, how did Paul put it? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all your might and strength and soul. Go confirm it with God and then get going. That's how you use your time wisely. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege to be able to uh, just kind of step aside for today to get some wisdom from the wise thank you father for what you uh revealed to us through moses so much more we could talk about but lord i i do pray that today you would help us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart 
of wisdom. Lord, we want to be your people. We want to shine brightly for you. And uh, we want to influence the people that you have put into our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to go hard uh, after you with a heart that really is in tune with you, connected to you, doing the work that you have given us because we have been doing it your way and for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.